Hey everybody, welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is a really special week for us because I think for the first time ever, actually, we have uh, all three of our founding members on the podcast at the same time. I'm being joined by Terry Fakes and by Ben Williams today, and this is going to be a fun one, guys. Absolutely. It'll definitely be fun for the listeners as they'll get a real peek into how ignorant we actually are. I think it's going to be wonderful. (laughs) It's hard to determine a topic that uh, the three of us could really engage on in our first podcast altogether. And so we actually had a listener submit the topic to us. Uh, Austin, who listens to the podcast, submitted a question a couple of weeks ago that I thought was an excellent topic that I wanted to get us all together to talk about. And that is open theism. And that might be something that's really familiar to some of our listeners, but it might also be a a completely new concept to some of the people listening. But it's been a a fixture in Christian theology for the last 25 years, kind of gone in waves. It gets really popular in, in kind of broader evangelicalism to talk about, and then it recedes into the back corners of... Uh, evangelical blogging, and then it comes back. And uh, right now we're in a little bit of a resurgence of it. So I wanted to kick off, and Ben, maybe you should start us here. Uh, What is open theism? Okay. Uh, Probably a good way to talk about it is to start by talking about what it's not. So if there is such a thing as a traditional view of God, it probably starts with a definition of God that sees his chief characteristic as his uh, power, or you could use the word sovereignty, or his capacity to accomplish his purpose. That's, that's probably, for most traditional theists throughout the centuries, one of, if not the chief characteristic of God, that he gets his will in some way. What the Mm -hmm. open theist does is to say that's not actually the chief characteristic of God. Uh, In fact, the chief characteristic of God is that he loves his creatures and is in a relationship with and to his creatures. Um, Now, interestingly enough, a a traditional person is not going to deny that those are characteristics of God, I I don't think. (laughs) Um, I think we'd be pretty happy with those. Mm -hmm. The the question is, uh, where do we go from there? So the open theist is going to say that by definition, love requires responsiveness. And by definition, love requires uh, not just free will, but an absolute libertarian freedom. So mm-hmm. with not just a free will, but a free will in the strongest sense, capital F, capital W, free will. Uh, mm-hmm. So that if you take those definitions, which they stipulate mostly out of human experience, um, so maybe I should say something about that. I mean, where would you come up with those definitions? In human experience, between two human persons, if you coerce someone to love you, they don't love you. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, likewise, you can't say that you'd love someone with whom you are not in any way responsive to. Uh, personhood in the human analogy uh, involves the ability to hear, to listen, to respond, to change our minds, to take into consideration the other person. Uh, if you ever do any marriage counseling, you know that if one person decides they're going to be the immutable partner in their marriage relationship, that marriage is pretty well over. Uh, It it takes two people acting in relationship and changing in relationship to each other. So if you take those definitions, which again in human relationships work pretty well, but then to say that's the chief definition of, of who God is and how we know God, what conclusions would you have for questions like um, God's knowledge of the future? Well, if, if I have an absolute capital F, capital W free will, full stop, then God is not the sole cause of reality. I have a part in it that is independent, not dependent, but independent of God in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. And the outcome then of reality is not entirely dependent on God, which means... Mm-hmm. 
it is at least possible that God will not get his way in the end of the story. Um, so another way that open theism is sometimes categorized is it's a theology of risk, that real love involves real risk-taking, and that when you read the Bible story, God is kind of living it along with us, and that there's risk involved, and there's the possibility that it doesn't work out. But love is kind of the conquering power, not uh, overt power that God sometimes uses, but rather the love, the more subtle power of God is how he gets his will. So uh, they, I, I think if I read Boyd right, Greg Boyd being one of the notable authors in this area, I think they would say God is going to win, but we know that because of the resurrection, not because of the essence of God or his ultimate divinity. It's simply that he has demonstrated that he gets his way in the end, that he has been successful, but not that that was simply outside the realm of possibility that he would fail. Mm -hmm. uh, so some, some version of that, I'm sure there's a lot of loose ends there to track down, but some version of that story of divine knowledge, of divine characteristic, and of the ultimate end of the story is kind of what amounts to open theism as, as I read it. Well, I, that is a great explanation. And so I'm going to go to a dumber level and <laughs> uh, kind of translate that down just a little bit. But I mean, that's absolutely right, theologically. Maybe another way to say this, uh, maybe not quite as accurately, but if you think about God having free will, well, that's not a stretch for any of us, that God okay. does what he wills. And then you think about humans having some element of free will. Many theological traditions see that. But you made the great point of libertarian free will, which yeah. I want to call unrestrained yeah. free will. Well, mm -hmm. how would you harmonize those two? Well, traditionally, I would call this a very traditional approach, is that God is omniscient. He knows everything that is going to happen before it ever happens. And I want to put before in quotes because a lot of people have talked about this, uh, the time element of this, but let's mm -hmm. just keep it simple. He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. Open theists might say, well, wait a minute, though. He probably knows a lot of things before they happen, but if you have truly free human agents who are truly libertarian in their free will, meaning you could choose whatever you wish to choose, he probably cannot know that. And so God knows the future not exhaustively. He doesn't know everything that's going to happen. He knows quite a bit of the future, but some of it he knows only as possibilities mm -hmm. of what might happen. And it seems to me that, that maybe that's a way to say how open theism maybe departs a little bit from a traditional view of omniscience. Mm -hmm. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with what you guys have said. And if I were going to take the open position here for a moment to maybe clarify and and uh, just to add to what you said. So in the open position, one of the interesting, I, I would consider this a sleight of hand, but I, I don't think they consider this a sleight of hand, is the way that they use terms. So for example, most open theists don't deny omniscience but they define omniscience radically differently than we would. Mm -hmm. And and I think what we'll argue later, radically different than has been defined in the history of the church. But what they're going to say is God knows everything that can be known. So right. the actions, the future actions of free moral agents cannot be known by God without being controlled by God. Therefore, you can either have foreknowledge that is foreordination, or you can have free choice, but you cannot have both. Yeah. So for an open theist, God's foreknowledge of an action is incompatible with it being a free action. Right. Right. So if we tease it out in terms of, of libertarian free will, the freedom to choose among options with equal ease, 
or if we were to find it along the lines of God's foreordination of events in the world, there becomes a pretty clear separation, even if we use some of the same terms, between the position that God knows everything. In the beginning, he knows everything that's going to happen versus God knows a lot of things and he has exhaustive knowledge of what he can know, but the actions of free moral agents can't actually be known or else they won't be free anymore. Can I jump in here, Cole? Yeah. I'm sorry. Can I ask you a question? You may want to answer this later, but this is something that I think people theologically have a lot of questions about. You just made a really good point and you said, what open theists are struggling with in one sense is if you have any capacity to make a choice, then the only option for God is to control you like a robot to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. But the traditional reform position holds to that we are responsible for our choices and at the same time, God is ordaining what will happen. In other words, open theists really struggle with those two being true at once, but reform theology does not. And a lot of people that I've talked to say, well, if you're a Calvinist or if you're reformed, you must think that we are robots. But that's not the reform position, is it? No, I don't think that is the reform position. And, and something that will be interesting to tease out later is a lot of times, you know, the, the argument against reform people is that that they view this system where God is forwarding everything and people are robots or people are mm-hmm. uh, constrained and they don't actually have any, any choices to make. Uh, at the same time, a lot of times you'll hear reform guys talk about Arminians and lump them in the exact same category as open theists yeah. and say right. that if, if you're an Arminian, you believe in libertarian free will, then essentially you're, you're an open theist that just hasn't gotten there. Yet, And uh, <laughs> I, I want to push back on that a little bit because that comes down to the way that we see libertarian free will. Yeah. So, for example, the reformed is, is the clearest cut because most reformed guys will just reject the notion of libertarian free will altogether. And by doing that, what they're not saying is that, um, that we don't have any kind of will, but that it's not a libertarian free will. And the distinction I would make there is... Uh, if you have a choice, are there factors that are contributing to you making that choice uh, that are either beyond your control or beyond your immediate recognition? And if that's the case, then libertarian free will in its truest extent does not exist. And the interesting thing about that is there are more evolutionary atheists who do not believe in libertarian free will, then probably reform guys who don't believe in libertarian free <laughs> Absolutely. will. Absolutely. If, if we're being honest. It's, that's right. It's hard to be a Darwinist without, in some sense, being a determinist, which is yes. even more radical than a Calvinist position. That's right, because there's no animating principle to our will. There's nothing special about our will, but we are determined by instinct, forces of nature, our past, etc. The laws of nature are, are determining the things that we're doing. So it's not actually a very unique position to reject libertarian free will. Uh, it just, uh, it, 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 it pricks your ears up a little bit in the, in the doctrine of God's foreordination and foreknowledge and man's responsibility because of some of the passages we'll talk about later. I think what's also interesting is is distinguishing between the Arminian take on God's foreign nation and human free will versus the open take. So do you have to be an open theist if you're an Arminian? That kind of comes down to what you think on libertarian free will as well. And I, I just want to introduce this term and then throw it back to you guys. All of these positions, except for the open position, in some way or another, are what's called a compatibilist Uh, uh, viewpoint. And compatibilism basically says that God's foreknowledge and human responsibility are in some way compatible with each other. And we can argue about how they're compatible, but usually in Christian orthodoxy, in some way or another, we're talking about a compatibilist worldview. Uh, If you're on the Arminian side of things, how do you differentiate yourself between the open position? I'm assuming that was directed at uh, me, Cole, because you and I have had a lot of uh, conversations about my doctrine of could have been otherwise. 
I think we've had some rather animated discussions about that. We have. <laughs> that's that's a that is the calling card of libertarian free will. <laughs> well, let me put it. Uh, let me just throw this out, and then I'll kick it over to Ben. But I want to say something for at least a Wesleyan position. Let me skip uh, past Arminianism a little bit and go to Wesleyan. I, I personally do not believe that the idea of libertarian free will is a biblical idea. I do not believe it can be found in the Bible at all. Mm-hmm. Now, how do Wesley, and let me just talk about Wesley, John Wesley, because I think he had a very clear take on this. John Wesley did not believe that we have free will. He believed that we had a freed will. In other words, God gave all of us enough grace. Now, you may disagree with this if you're Reformed, but it's really important to realize John Wesley's not talking about libertarian free will. The idea that you could wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'll choose God today. That's uh, not a Wesleyan position. He said, you can only have the ability to respond to God because he's already given you enough grace to do it. He has freed your will. So I would just say that to simply say that I don't know that there is an orthodox position, personal opinion, that believes in libertarian free will. Now, a lot of people that say they're Wesleyan or Arminian have slid down the slippery slope and effectively speak as though there is a libertarian free will. But I don't I don't think that's a Wesleyan or even an Arminian position, personally. Mm-hmm. So let me kick that to you guys and see what you think. No, I think you're right that uh, Wesley in particular, and, and I think Arminius too, um, was very orthodox in their take of the ultimate outcome and the necessity of God's action in the the working out of human will. Um, I, I think we can definitely say that, and I I think they would probably take a more nuanced definition of will. Uh, open theism's definition of right. choosing is has really just uh, I think as Cole mentioned, taken some terms and through sleight of hand uh, reduced them to bare bones so that when you hear it, it sounds right. But, uh, for example, there's an interesting... I have a little book in front of me that's one of those uh, uh, four views on books Mm -hmm. uh, that come out. I have one on Divine Providence, which I'm going to recommend by the time we're done with this, because it has uh, Helseth uh, doing kind of the Reformed view, Craig doing a Molinist point of view, Ron Mm -hmm. Highfield from Pepperdine doing some kind of I can't identify it view. Um, and, and then Greg Boyd writes the chapter on open theism, so really packed with some good stuff. Boyd mm-hmm. makes an argument about free will where he says something like, um, if an evil scientist puts a chip in your brain and then makes you vote for um, Barack Obama for president, well, that wasn't a free choice. Mm-hmm. Craig responds by saying, if that same scientist is watching you in the polling booth and you voluntarily vote for Obama before he interacts with you and he doesn't have to do anything, Mm -hmm. it was a free choice that could not have been otherwise. Hmm. And he he offers that as an example of, it's, choice is a weird thing. It's, It's not clear if you, if the door is locked, can you still choose to open it? That's, right. that's actually a very subtle question. And open theism right. treats it like it's, it's simple. It has to be one way or the other, and it's just not that simple. I think, I think Terry's right that most, if not all, orthodox thinkers uh, would say the idea that humans are essentially co-creating reality as we go with God, that view of libertarian free will is not at all orthodox. Yeah, Ben, I, I want to jump in on that and say... Open theism, we're going to talk in a minute about what's appealing about open theism, because obviously none of the three of us hold the open position, but we also want to make the best case we can for it, uh, which we'll do in a minute. But but just to, to continue that line of thought, a lot of times the benefit seen in open theism is added nuance to what people view as the historic Christian position. So actually, we're going to add some nuance to the way that God knows things. But when it comes down to talking about choice, the open position is relatively ignorant of any nuance that's going (laughs) on in the broader philosophical world when it comes to choice. Um, Because as you mentioned, it only envisions a monolithically free 
choice. And, and here's the paradox of free will on, on that front that you see in secular philosophy. This has nothing to do with what we think the scriptures teach. If you have a, if you have a will that is determined beforehand, you have determinism. And if you have a will that actually has no outside determining factors at all, you have randomness. But nowhere in the middle of that uh, have you allowed any opportunity for an actual will. So uh, there's a paradox there in the way that they frame up free will to where actually they're not talking about a free choice anymore because it's so unconstrained that it's actually randomness. Um, and there's, yeah. there's the doubt that the, the chooser can even know his own mind or his own motivation for making the choice that he's made. Yes, I, I, absolutely. That I think the libertarian view of free will essentially reduces the human down or any willful creature uh, to a, a random number generator that you're, mm-hmm. you're just simply spitting out something unconstrained by any previous event so that at any time T, either option could happen without any probability at all involved. That's, that's crazy talk. That's random mm-hmm. number generator. That's not the kind of will that we experience as humans. Let me ask you this then, Cole, I mean, kind of moving to the next point, as I hear this, I think, well, why is it appealing? Because I think open theism has some appeal to people. Why do you think that that is? What is it answering that's satisfactory in some ways? Well, let me throw out a couple of these and then uh, we can explain, we can we can go deeper on the ones that, that stick. But I would say the top three or four reasons that the open position is appealing is, number one, there are passages in the Bible that seem like they could be better explained with the open position than with the traditional position of God's foreknowledge. I'll just give one example of that uh, is in Jesus' ministry in Mark 6, 5 and 6. He goes and cannot perform any miracles, and he says he couldn't perform any miracles there because of their lack of faith. Uh, so that God's will then is dependent on the actions of moral agents. Uh, you also see this several times in the Old Testament. There are instances where uh, God will speak prophetically in contingencies. So with David, uh, he says, if you go down, this will happen. If you do not go down, this will happen. And then David chooses and God brings about the result. Uh, so that would be the first reason is there's there are some passages in Scripture that seem like they would be better explained that way. The second reason would be it completely shifts the burden and the accusation when it comes to the problem of evil. So we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is sinful because of free will. And a, a lot of times you can make an argument that if God didn't know that this was going to happen, if God restricted himself, limited himself to give us free will, then actually God didn't cause this evil to happen, but he is going to take care of it or he is going to bring good out of it. Uh, that would be the second one. The third one I would say is the way that uh, it, it impacts prayer. So if we mm-hmm. pray and we want our prayers to actually affect something, uh, or, or we want God to respond to our prayers, then uh, it's hard to reconcile how God already knows what is going to happen, and then we pray, and it's in any sense a meaningful engagement with God. Uh, the fourth one, the last one that I would mention, is something that Ben brought up at the very beginning. If God is a relational being, and we are in relationship with him, we're in relationship with Christ, then there must be some kind of give and take because that's the way that relationships work. And if God is completely immutable, he never changes. If he's completely omniscient in the sense that he knows everything all the time, what kind of exchange is there? What kind of relationship is there with God? So those would be a few I would mention. Uh, Which one of those do you guys think is the strongest or, or what would you add to that? I definitely agree. I've read a little bit of Thomistic philosophy here recently for a class I'm working on. And there is a tendency in some Christian theology to depict a God that is hard to view as either personal or in a personal relationship. So if you get kind of an ultimate being theology in the extreme, 
uh, where he's existing outside of time. He can't be influenced by any human will, behavior, or action, or even existence. Uh, he can't change relative to other beings. Um, you start, it, it's, it can depersonalize God and make the question of, in what sense do I have a relationship with this God other than the way I have a relationship with a rock in my front yard? It's, it's mm-hmm. a brute fact of the universe. Uh, that, I admit, that is a difficult challenge, and probably one of the reasons I'm not a Thomist uh, is I don't know what to do <laughs> with that particular take on God. It doesn't seem very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it open theism to their credit takes more seriously some texts in especially the Old Testament that uh, reformed theology might hastily skip over and say well I know what it says but it can't mean that um, now to be fair then the open theist has to skip over a whole lot of the rest of the Bible and say I know what it says but it can't mean that right um, but there are definitely some texts where God seems very human person-like in the way that he uh, behaves in time, the way that he seems to come to know things in some passages, the way he's depicted, uh, and, and it takes that very seriously. And, and as you know, Bible-believing people, I get really excited when a philosopher says, I want to take the Bible seriously in the following passages. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'm real keen on that. That's, that's probably the place where I'm the most sympathetic to them is that they're not dismissing certain text. They're not willing to dismiss it. And then mm-hmm. maybe maybe a third point is uh, the the risk versus no risk issue. Um, it's it's both the point where I find it most sympathetic and least desirable. How's that for weird? But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but on the one hand, I. Is God doing anything praiseworthy toward us if it's simply not possible that it could have ever failed? Would right. be the question an open theist would ask. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, is uh, my response would probably be something like, is God praiseworthy if it's possible he fails? Uh, if I might stumble on a better God out there in the universe who doesn't fail... Uh, mm-hmm. Is is this the God I should be worshiping, or is he just the God I should be worshiping for now? Um, right. I, I have questions there, but in, in terms, you're asking you know, why might a person want this? It's that God really took a risk at the cross. He didn't know that you were going to buy into the gospel even after His Son died, and uh, even after the brute force interaction to raise Him from the dead. He took a risk for you in the way that a parent does a child. It's a real relationship, like a human personal relationship that we can understand. And that part of it, that's really appealing. It just, it, it, at what cost theologically do you start making that your sermon about God? And, uh, well, I'm sure we'll have more to say about that, but that's, that's the sympathy part of it for me. Right, and I think at some point... Um you know what we want to cut through on those points is it is it is beautiful in its own way to think wow god went and did this he sacrificed his son for us to pay for our sins and he didn't even know if we would respond uh, or or to say god created the world and he limited himself to give real free choice to his creatures so that they would love him back with a genuine love that was unforced and uncoerced uh, from him. And like that is a really beautiful idea. And, and in fact, we talk like that a lot of times. But yep. what we have to be careful about is where are we getting our definition of what's beautiful? What, where are we where are we defining the terms for what makes God more and less praiseworthy, more and less uh, glorious, more and less loving? Uh, the Bible or some kind of philosophical or cultural or aesthetic construct that we've come up with on our own. Um, Dad, we've talked a lot about the philosophical positions here and some about the theological positions. Maybe... Let's jump down a level for a second and say, where is open theism most appealing on the ground level? Or another way to put that question, 
what are the places where people are functionally open theists, even <laughs> if they don't really hold that position theologically? Well, let me jump in and give you a thought here. I, I, I'm a fan of steel man arguments. That's a, one of the founding beliefs, so we speak. But uh, I'm a little hard on the open theists on this. First of all, let me just say, this is not a biblical dispute. Mm-hmm. I understand that all uh, open theists want to give a nod to the Bible. They want to say, we better explain it. Uh, I think that's nonsense. I don't think that's the strong point. Let me just simply put it this way. Let me sum it all up in this. In the Old Testament particularly, it seems that God, quote, changes his mind. God relents. And I find it very understandable that we understand in the Old Testament the idea of anthropomorphism, meaning that God is described as having a strong right hand, etc. Well, none of us think that God literally has a strong right arm. We understand, okay, that's a way of speaking about God that we can understand. That's called anthropomorphism. Uh-huh. When we talk about God's feelings, I think we are talking about anthropopathism, meaning the same thing is happening. In other words, the scriptures are using human emotions, just like they used human limbs, to somehow portray a completely incomprehensible infinite God. So I don't think that open theists really have a biblical issue, and I don't find that that's their main appeal. Mm -hmm. The main appeal to me is the theodicy problem, the Mm -hmm. idea of God's culpability for evil. Because if God foreknows everything, then he is, even if he's not the immediate cause, he's the proximate cause of evil. He at least allowed a world to be created where evil could happen. He's at least an unindicted co-conspirator, if you will. Right. If God is controlling everything, then he's the actual immediate cause of evil. And I think the appealing part of open theism is this. God controls a lot of things, but you know what? He doesn't control the meanness that we do to each other. And I think that's probably the biggest appeal. It's just not reasonable. That, for several reasons. Number one, you don't just have man's inhumanity to man. You also have a fallen world where you have tsunamis, you have droughts, you have scourges, you have... Uh, you know, Ebola viruses. <laughs> you have a lot of things happening that I don't think open theism can really encompass and get God off the hook for that. But secondly, I would question whether anybody really would believe in a God who's that powerless, mm-hmm. a God who cannot stop evil because we have all this free will. So uh, to me, the the big appeal is with the problem of evil, but it doesn't really withstand much scrutiny. I don't think it delivers on its promises uh, for sure. But but I would agree with you uh, to the extent that that is probably the place that it's most appealing. It's probably the place that we inadvertently sometimes talk like open theists. Uh, you know, and, and this is a difficult situation. We've had Lance Ward on the podcast to talk about this a couple of times, but you know, when you're sitting with somebody and something bad has happened, it feels like an incredible out and comfort and explanation right. to, to in some way alleviate the pain of feeling like God could have done something, but he didn't. Or even worse, as you mentioned, God is the immediate cause of this thing that has happened. And so to sit by somebody and say, you know what, this wasn't God's plan or God didn't do this or, uh, you know, God couldn't stop this because we have free will. To say something like that is functionally open theism. Uh, and, I, and, and the heartbeat and the, and the hope behind it is good. But what I want to make clear is that doesn't get you out of the woods with the problem of evil. So for, exactly. for two reasons. First, because... God pressed play on the universe from the get-go. So even open theists and and Molinists uh, are going to say that there is this body of knowledge that God has. 
And he knew that before the creation of the world. Now, the free choices of, of human agents for the, the Molinist up to a certain point of their choosing, and then all free actions for open theists are unknown to God, but the conditions and how a person would behave in a certain circumstance are known to God. And when he's looking at the array of possible worlds, he sees the evil in each one or the the destruction in each one and then decides to go ahead with that universe. So in some way or another, that's a problem we have to confront. In the the process theology camp, which would be like the maybe the predecessor or the near cousin to open theism, they, right. go, they go the whole extra 10 yards and say, uh, in fact, God didn't create the universe ex nihilo. Uh, and, and so they you know, completely remove him from the problem of evil and, and in the process uh, also make him not the creator of the universe, which I think would bother all of us. Uh, <laughs> the open right. theist uh, chooses to keep God as the creator of the universe ex nihilo, but somehow... Uh, thinks that they can otherwise answer the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, a- after you grant that point that God made all things, uh, I'm not sure there is as easy a move as there would like to be to, to answer that issue. Well, and in addition to that, I would say, what makes you think that if God couldn't stop this or didn't stop this, that he's going to be able or willing to do anything about it in the future? Uh, so we... we pause uh, God's responsibility and say that he didn't cause this and and he's going to work for good. But what makes us believe that he's going to work for good? Because when he runs up against another set of actions from a free moral agent, he's not going to interfere there either. So there's no possibility of God intervening and not and and not all open theists think that God will never intervene and override uh, free moral action. But but many of them believe that there are cases in which he he doesn't and won't. Uh, what makes you believe that he's going to intervene to stop human evil at any point in the future? That That's not a very encouraging position in my mind. Well, that's not a God, in my view, that I would personally believe in. And uh, for, I'll tell you what I think is maybe at the source of this, personally, is the idea, and I want to get John Wesley off the hook here a little bit. John Wesley believed... I disagree, but he believed that God's ultimate primary characteristic was love. But John Wesley said, and this is where I do agree, it was a holy love, Mm -hmm. a love that judges, a love that makes distinctions. It's not the sentimental love of the 21st century. And I think if you think God is love and only love, and I know no one will say that, but if you look at the works of Greg Boyd, who by all accounts is a great Christian brother, have no issues with him personally. I just want to speak to his work. I think if you assume that God is only love, you have to get to the open theism position because mm-hmm. you cannot attribute to God any culpability whatsoever in evil. His recent series of books has to do with nonviolence and the idea that God is not even culpable, nor did he do what the Old Testament clearly says he did, and that is call for violence to happen. I think if you have that kind of prior commitment, and then you have to turn the Bible through some gymnastics to get where you want to go. And I think open theism is appealing in the sense that God can be fit into a 21st century moral box. And you and I think that that's simply not possible. Yeah, I, early in our discussion, I mentioned that the the main premise, you know, you're correct, of open theism had to do with love, as humans know love and relationship, as humans experience relationship. In that is its greatest strength and its greatest weakness. That it makes God very knowable, and that exactly He experiences love like I do in relationship like I do, but it does not allow for the possibility that there are transcendent, ineffable qualities of God where that uh, analogy of relationship and love break down in the way that I know it with somebody else, that ultimately God is a father, but he's not exactly a father like I am a father to my son. There Mm -hmm. has to be something similar, but there also has to be something distinct if he is utterly other than me, and he is. Absolutely. So let's, let's move towards a conclusion here on open theism. 
is it orthodox? Is this a position that Christians are free to hold? Uh, and maybe we even need to do a little bit of background on, on that point. You know, I think we would all agree that there are positions that we personally don't agree with that you can hold and be a Christian. In fact, the three of us disagree on several things uh, that, that we wouldn't consider uh, one of us not to be a, a believer. But it, does open theism fall into that camp? These people are sincerely mistaken. Or is there something about the open position uh, that, that, would, that would go to the point where we would say that people who hold to this position are no longer Christians? What do you guys think? I'll come back around and say something nice about Ron Highfield, having poked fun at him earlier in the podcast. His chapter in this uh, Four Views book, he, he attempts to address that question subtly, where he makes this statement about open theism. Can anyone imagine a canonical psalm or a Christian hymn saying, Lord, we praise you for you are greater than any other being. You can do all things that are under your control. And when your plans go fail, it's never your fault. We extol you for doing what you can with what you have at your disposal. We give you thanks for doing your best to protect us. And we know that you wish us well and do what you can to help us achieve eternal life. Praise to your name. And, and his point is, it, it, his, his whole theological project, I'm a big fan of Ron Highfield, actually. His theological process is to start with statements of worship in the Bible and say, is this a God you can worship? If it's not, start again. And ultimately, mm-hmm. the God of open theism, I have difficulty worshiping that God, especially knowing that, at least in, in my understanding of open theism, I could conceivably run into a greater being. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not Anselm's God, who is greater that than which nothing may be thought. Uh, this is less than that. And conceivably, I could run into a God who does all the things open theism says our God does not do. So I find that very daunting. And Mm -hmm. I also find it a challenge to one of the central claims of the Hebrew scriptures. I I said a moment ago that I was sympathetic to it because of the way it deals with some Hebrew scriptures. Um, There are quite a few others it doesn't at all. I think the book of Daniel, for example, is incomprehensible on open theism that Mm -hmm. the principal claim of Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar is the God you should know both knows and ordains the future. The false God does not. Open Mm, theism uh, exalts that other God. And I I have a severe problem with that. So for on those two grounds, even though I'll openly admit, uh, open there being a pun, openly admit that I'm very (laughs) sympathetic to some of the claims, especially in narrative passages uh, you know, where Terry says we're, we're anthropomorphizing. I appreciate that they're taking that very seriously, and I want to as well. But at what cost? They have to jettison two of the primary claims of Scripture about God, that he's worshipful and that he acts in a history in a way that demonstrates he knows and in some sense ordains history. Um, and so if, at the very least, it's not orthodox, um, I leave questions of who gets to be called a Christian to somebody else. They're probably over my pay grade, but it's definitely not something you could not put a psalm of that sort, as Highfield says, in the book of Psalms and say that's Christian literature. Mm. Yeah, Ben makes a great point, and that's a good way to look at it. Is can you imagine the Psalms rewritten from an open theistic position? Uh, My personal position, Cole, and I'll give you the last word on this, is I believe that the people who are open theists are wrong, but not evil. It's possible for us to be mistaken. There is no doubt that I am mistaken about a number of things I believe. I don't think that I understand the scriptures perfectly. So I believe that they are wrong, but not evil. But I will say this. Be very, very careful that you do not cross the line in Scripture where you lead the sheep of God astray to believe something that affects their salvation. If that is the case, that it were better than a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Mm-hmm. I think open theism is a move in that direction, but I, sim- I will not say that those who believe it are not earnest, I simply think they are mistaken. 
Yeah, I think bo- both of you guys nailed it. And uh, the, the only thing I would add to it is the, these are always interesting questions. Can you be a Christian and believe this? Ben, as you said, well, uh, we don't want the ultimate cop out of we don't know uh, because the Bible does <laughs> tell us what we can know and not know. But in questions like this, we always want to tread lightly and say, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not our place to say uh, how God is going to uh, judge the human heart about things we don't know. It, it is our place to say we've been we've been tasked with uh, looking at certain doctrines and looking at fruit uh, to exhort people to trust God with their lives. So from that standpoint, I would say, given what we know about the gospel, it, it's not immediately apparent that this that you couldn't believe open theism and also believe the gospel. Now, there are people that argue that. And the way that they typically do that is by talking about the way an open theist would would appropriate the doctrine of salvation. So can God guarantee your salvation if the open position is true? And I think that's an interesting argument. But from an individual believer's perspective, could you believe that you are sinful, that you need a Savior, that Jesus came, died for your sins— and uh, by trusting in him, you'll be forgiven and raised up on the last day. You, I think you can probably believe that and be an open theist. I don't think it's a good position to hold for, for the reasons that you guys mentioned, and I'll just add two more. The first one is the way that God defines his own nature in the Bible. Uh, in the prophetic literature, God mocks the false gods of the world by saying that none of them can predict the future and none of them can bring about the things that they've promised. Well, if, if we believe the open position, then God actually can't bring those things about either. Uh, exactly. And so that would actually be reducing God to the image of those foreign and uh, gods that are not gods. We, we read over and over in the scriptures. So there is an attack on the character of God as he presents himself, which I would take about as seriously as anything that you could do theologically. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is in an attempt to alleviate the problem of evil, uh, open theism essentially teaches people that God is not trustworthy to bring about the mm. things that he's promised. And that's, the, that's probably the place where I would be most inclined to say that you cannot hold the open position and be a Christian. I don't think that you can believe that God is kind of trustworthy and be a Christian. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I think you can believe the gospel. You can carry a large amount of cognitive dissonance um, and, and probably be a Christian. But this is one of those that to me is just right on the edge of being a right. gospel issue. Um, some people would argue that it is. I would say you can be sincerely wrong, but you're really wrong <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if, if this is what you hold. Do you remember that article? It was an interview, I think it was in the Times, with Tim Keller, and first of the year, a couple of years ago. And uh, the interviewer asked, you know, can I, are you saying I'm not a Christian if I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yes. And uh, Keller responds oh, yeah. with something like, uh, it's kind of like asking, can you be a member of Greenpeace or an environmental agency of some kind and not believe in global warming? Right. <laughs> it, it, it's not that it's logically impossible. It just seems like that's not who they are. Right. And if, if your God does not ensure the future as a matter of absolute trustworthiness, uh, I'm not sure that that counts as Christian orthodoxy for sure. Whether it's some other sort of Christian, I, I don't know. Right. That's a great point. I think that was Bill Crystal, wasn't it? And he's... Uh, and it's uh, Nicholas Kristoff. Nicholas Christoph, yes. sorry about that. Yeah. And, you know, he gave a great answer and said every belief system has boundaries. And this one, to me, Cole, is really close to the boundary. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that that's the way you phrase that. I, I was going to end by recommending uh, resources. So the, the resources for the open position, the famous ones at least, would be The Openness of God, which is a compilation of essays published in 1994. The yep. issue was around before then, but this was really the, the starting point for the modern discussion of it, The Openness of God. That's Clark Pinnock, John Sanders, Richard Rice, and then God of the Possible 
by Greg Boyd in 2000 are two of the two of the big ones. Uh, on the traditional position, a couple of books I would recommend. There's a book called Beyond the Bounds, which is edited by John Piper and Justin Taylor, and I think maybe MacArthur contributed to it. And there are definitely people in that volume that argue that open theists are not Christians. And some of them are referring to people like Clark Pinnock, who uh, actually probably was not a Christian, was was um, tried to be removed from ETS for all kinds of beliefs, but maybe not your garden variety open theist. Uh, no Other God by John Frame is a great resource. What would you guys add? I'd definitely add the book I mentioned uh I'm not a huge fan of all of the four view, five views book. It depends on who they get to write, you know. But this uh, four views on divine providence by Zondervan. Uh, the contributors are Paul Helseth. I hope I'm saying his name right. Who writes the Reformed point of view? William Lane Craig, who is without doubt the greatest living defender of Molinism. Ron mm-hmm. Highfield, who is an excellent theologian, even though again there are points where I'm not entirely follow what he's saying in here. He brings a lot to bear that I think is helpful. And then Greg Boyd is the open theist. And what's great about it is you get you know the, the Reformed view, and then you get Boyd's response to that, and then the Molinist view and Boyd's response, to, and then the other guys responding to Boyd. So you get right. the closest you get of having those four guys in a room arguing about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's short. Each one had a page limitation, but uh, it's, it's really useful for a quick tour uh, of that in in conversation with with other authors, right? Yeah, I I agree with everything you guys have said. I would add one more, even though I said I don't think this is a biblical issue. Uh, Stephen Roy R O Y wrote a book called How Much Does God Foreknow? How Much Does God Foreknow? And in that book, he goes through every text, Old Testament, New Testament, and looks at it from a uh, classical open theistic point of view. Again, I don't think that's the major reason people are open theists, but I believe it's a very good biblical treatment. Mm-hmm. And then read the book of Daniel, and then you know you'll be done. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. I'll finish it up for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think open theism, in some ways, began, uh, or or at least was popularized as a pastoral issue. And uh, part of that is the inability to resolve tension in our faith. And I just want to end on the note that, that for us, our faith doesn't depend on our being able to resolve every tension in our faith. Our faith depends on who God has revealed himself to be and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And there will always be places where we can't articulate and we can't work through that tension this side of glory. But uh, we, need, we take God for who he says he is and we can trust him. And I think that's where we have to leave it. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.